This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get creators pay. Like that is a one line business uh, yeah. at the end of was, the day. And it's a pretty it, easy sell. It was a little underwhelming though. Cause you sell your company for 65 million and your next product mm-hmm. update is another Lincoln bio. Lincoln bio <laughs> yeah, they like went to this space. <laughs> What is up, everyone? This is another episode of Our Future Podcast. I'm your host, Simran Sandu, and I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Michael Sakan. Tell us why the listeners should be listening to this podcast. Well, we know everybody, okay? So, (laughs) no, but we, we know some of the most successful young people in the world. We curate the best young entrepreneurs, and then we tell their stories for you. So think of us as the go-to outlet to learn about the most successful young people in the world. And I feel like it's valuable because when you're young and trying to build a company, who better to look at than your peers and whatever the hell they're up to these days. Totally. And why should you be listening to us? Well, Mike and I sold our media company in our early 20s to Morning Brew. And so that's what the show is about. We give you the tactics and the strategies that young people are using to build their business. So today we're super excited. We're talking about this 28-year-old guy named John Hugh, and he's built a multi-million dollar company in the creator economy space. You want to give him a little bit of background on what the company does? Yeah, and it's John Who, by the way. It's not a color tone. It's Who, not Hugh. Uh, <laughs> My bad. <laughs> uh, it's all good. I don't think he, he'd care. His like Instagram handle is at jhoovy, so I don't think okay. he's super strict to his uh, He sounds like a chiller. Name. Yeah. He is a chiller. Dude's always surfing. I love it. He's got a great vibe. It's like he looks like a like a... Like this just feels like the emoji he uses the most, like hang loose, baby, <laughs> like stand to the moon. Um, but no, let's talk about this guy. Uh, pedigreed to the teeth, right? So uh, goes to, I think, UNC for undergrad, uh, go, works at Goldman Sachs, works at uh, a top venture firm, um, and then goes to Stanford Business School. So he really goes this traditional path for his you know, first few years. And I think he just realizes it's not for him. And he's kind of this free spirit. He's adventurous. He's extroverted. He's full of energy. And I think startups just made a lot of sense to him. And I think he was like, I'm looking at all these companies through my venture firm. I might as well start my own because, you know, I think, you know, while people do criticize like doing VC at a young age, like it does teach you exactly what investors are looking for. And he did get Michael Ovitz as his first angel investor for his idea, which is Stan. And Stan is a Lincoln bio company on the surface, but I think the better way to describe it would be Shopify for creators. So that's exactly how it yeah. feels, 100%. Yeah. 
So instead of um, just a link in bio that routes out to external websites, there's a lot of uh, vertical integration happening on Stan that we're not seeing on the other link in bio platforms. So for example, you can host a course inside of Stan. You can do your scheduling inside of Stan without depending on say a Calendly. So they've really taken control of a lot of these features and brought them natively inside their platform, which I think is uh, makes them really unique. And the company's raised 5 million in venture capital and they've they're now making 5 million ARR. So it's it's pretty impressive that they've uh you know become profitable uh so quickly and they probably will never need, need to raise again in my in that I'm guessing. But they're growing like crazy. They're actually on pace for 9 million in ARR. Their past this past quarter was like absolutely crazy. Like they've wow. been crushing it. Um it's cool though. Honestly like they have tens of thousands of people actually paying to use, um, you know, their tool. I think you hit the nail on the head, which is like it brings a lot of apps and platforms that a creator would need to use. And it kind of aggregates it and brings it into this like one ready to go app. Um, and I think that's kind of the key here because most creators are just really good at creating content, but they really struggle on the business side. And I think it's like, some probably just aren't great at like getting deals and then the other half just hate doing it. Um, and so if you can reduce that friction, you've got an opportunity on your hands. And you know that Jeff Bezos quote that you used to uh, say all the time that your margin is my opportunity. Yeah. I think yeah. this is like that, but very literally it is like the margin in your bio. Like that <laughs> is where the opportunity lies and he built yeah. a multi-million dollar business from it. Yeah, I mean, that just sliver of real estate, of attention, of like, oh, who is this person? Okay, let me click on this link. Like, that little zone is where he's built and staked his his $9 million a year projected business. Jay is an awesome founder because, you know, when you know this whole thing of like when people said like build in public, all that bullshit. Yeah. Like he's, he's done a great job of building in public. So he's got a YouTube channel with like 40 K subs. He's got a bunch of TikTok followers. And what he does is share his story of building his startup and the content's really fucking good. Uh, I watched a video last night and it was, he was talking about how to raise money for your startup. And he was talking about exactly how he went about it. Sometimes he'll make videos with his investors and be like, this is a, an investor meeting. And his entire um, personal brand is like, this is this account is my daily journal building a billion dollar company. And I'm like, nobody's built in public better than him. Like nobody's actually embraced being a creator around building a startup better than him. That's the thing. You, if you're going to build in public, you have to do it right, which is yeah. like, you have to make them feel like they're a part of the process rather than like, you're just stunning on everybody, which is like, Hey, here's a screenshot of my quarterly revenue and we're just blowing it out of the park. I think that's how you attract a bunch of competitors and haters. But if you yeah. can be someone that they actually want to back and they're like, you know what? Uh, it kind of reminds me of, it was like that podcast back in the day. And it was like very meta. It was like a guy trying to build a podcast com a company. It was Gimlet. Yes. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. And it was, what was it called? It was called Startup, right? Or something like that. Yep. And he would literally describe on every episode him building his podcast media company and he would go through the day-to-day -day. like 
the employees he was bringing on, how he was raising money, um, kind of like their big fuck ups, right? So like, I think people listen to that and they're like, I want to support this guy. But there's another aspect of this too, which is like, it's a really competitive space. How many yeah. Lincoln bio tools yeah. now exist? I made a quick list here and I'm seeing nine or 10 different tools off the top of my head. And well, so, yeah. What, what Have you seen the velocity of consolidation that's happening right now in the Lincoln bio space? No, I didn't realize they were buying up. Linktree's been on a buying spree for like the past two years, just sucking up a bunch of competitors. Uh, so they've acquired two recently. So some of their Linktree's recent fundraising was simply around consolidation, which I think is really interesting, right? Maybe their investors were like, hey, like, we're going to give you this cash. You need to go and shore up the space, right? For yourself as the, the biggest player, uh, because they are. Um, it's actually un unbelievable. I think their, their Series C was at 100 something million. Um, they may, they may be even past that now. I don't have the crunch. Yeah. They're, they're valued at over a billion dollars, which is pretty crazy. Um, but I wow. think that you have to think about it that way because, uh, the challenge with being kind of like a generalist in the way that Linktree is, is that someone is going to focus on a very specific niche, build like a trusted audience around it, and then like actually build a sizable company, maybe never to the scale that Linktree will be, but it's a perfect acquisition target for them, right? And so if a company like Stan comes in and they've just dominated creators, right? Anybody who is a YouTube creator um, is using their platform to actually monetize their digital products or whatever they're trying to sell. Well, maybe Linktree wants to go in that direction and buy them up. I mean, right, right now, I think Linktree started because like they were focusing on artists, right? Like that was the the big thing. And so yeah. it's not really that much of a stretch for them to really be focusing on YouTube-based creators, right? It's still of a cr very creative type thing. Yeah, I, I think the genius about, around Stan is the fact that they didn't look at it as a Lincoln bio. They looked at it as its own software platform, right? And I think that was the big disruptive insight because I, I don't even see them being in competition necessarily with other Lincoln bio companies. Like they're competing with Kajabi. They're competing with Calendly. Um, there's an amazing graphic on their website that if I ever build a SaaS tool, I am 100% going to copy this. Um, yeah. So it yeah. says a simpler solution. I'll show it on screen. And then it says, um, like mobile optimized Lincoln bio store. And then it's like replaces Squarespace, Shopify, Linktree. Then it's like calendar invites replaces Calendly. Course builder replaces Kajabi. Audience analytics replaces Google. And I was like, damn, that is just, and then it shows what you would have spent like $450. And then it's like with Stan, it's 29. Yep. Yep. They aggregated all the apps. Um, you know, we talk a lot about this when it comes to people who are building consumer-based companies, but I think this goes back to the fact that you need to figure out monetization first, right? The the difference between them and a lot of other like Lincoln biotype tools is, you know, for example, let's use this uh, this tool called Hot by Wix, right? Kind of similar. But their only thing that really differentiates them is their search capabilities. So you can actually go into the link in bio and it lets you search up random stuff. But if you look at Stan specifically, their big focus is conversion and sales for creators. And I think like this goes well with uh, Fanfix, right? Those companies, the, those guys sold that company for 65 million after starting it in seven months. And it was literally just like, let's get creators pay. Like, that is a one-line business uh, yeah. at the end of was, the day. And it's a pretty it, easy sell. 
It was a little underwhelming though, because you sell your company for sixty-five million, and your next product update is another Lincoln Bio tool. Lincoln Bio, yeah, they like went to this space. That's so funny. Uh, I forgot that was like their new uh, new product feature. Yo, That's hilarious. It's, it's uh, it's Superlink, or it's like Superlink, or like what do they yeah, call it? Yeah, it yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what is their platform called again? Fanfix. It was like yeah, Fanfix. Fan- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 yeah, so funny. I really like this. I really like this company. Um, I like how he describes it as a business in a box. Um, I also like, like for for one, I I honestly think John who does our future podcast better than our future podcast does. Like, go and watch <laughs> his content. Like, he's way better than us. Like, he's actually telling you how to fundraise for your company, how to look at your competition, how to come up with ideas, how to reach out to investors, and it's really good. Um, he. Uh, uh, what was I going to say? He, he made a video um, and it was about, yeah, it was like, he was a creator at first. He was working at these companies at business school, started making TikToks. And he's like, we need to figure out a way for creators to make money. And yeah, I, I really like the way he went about idea generation is that he was doing this thing. He understood this thing. He understood this industry. Now I just need to figure out what the opportunity is inside it. And for me, when I'm thinking about new business ideas right now, I'm thinking about, okay, what am I doing? Because I can't pretend like I'm doing something else or expose myself to a new field right now. I'm working at The Brew. We're doing this podcast. I'm about to turn out long-form YouTube. And I'm looking at this space and figuring out what kind of software can I bring into to this, this world that we live in. And I think that that's a, a good approach. I think it's very hard to come up with a new business idea in what you don't know. So I like that he reverse engineered it being like, this is the problem there's got to be a way to solve it. And I think he iterated and had a few different ideas. I don't even think you have to reinvent the wheel. Like mm-hmm. you can have eight or nine competitors in a space and still build a big company, right? Yeah. Like this, this is a clear example of this. Like Stan came out three years ago, three years ago, there were a ton of these tools. There's, they still are. Um, and you know, he's about to build an eight figure business, uh, you know, eight figure run rate business. And so if you think about it, like you just need one unique angle and then you need to go all in on it. I think if you spread your focus too thin, yeah. yeah, And you start focusing on a bunch of different features, even if they are very important, um, like it's harder to really sell that, right? Because you don't want to overwhelm people with options. But if the entire pitch is around conversions and sales, okay, easy enough to understand. And what the real pitch is, is that any way you're trying to monetize as a creator, we can help you do that. You want to go build a course? Let's help you do that. You want to start a newsletter? Let's help you go do that. Um, And so I think if they kind of continue to follow that line of thinking, this business is going to continue to scale. And that's what I would push other young people to. Find a business that you really like. And you're like, you know what? This is really interesting. And find even a small niche that someone isn't doing that. And then you know, target that with one specific product or two specific products and see which one works. And then you can kind of figure out your game plan from there. You do not need to have it all planned out. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about my own software idea in the creator space and it was like, you know, I was talking to you about it and you were like, yeah, that just feels like you're trying to attack so much. Like you're really trying to reinvent the wheel and how things are done. Just lock in and niche down on one thing. And then I actually came to a pretty good idea that I'm pretty bullish on. Um, so, and it just feels so simple. It just feels like, oh, that (laughs) makes sense. Like that's just like dead simple, but so is Stan, right? Um, it's comforting to think that you can build a great business 
on doing something just a little bit differently, packaging it in a different way uh, that others aren't doing. Because, you know, business is about focus, right? And just exploiting, exploiting, exploiting your edge. And you just need a little bit of dig on the, the edge of the snowboard to like really start carving your own path, you know? You know what someone told me? Um, and I know this is a little counterintuitive to what we're talking about here, but they were saying the best businesses solve problems that no one else is even thinking about. So they are problems that people don't even realize they have per se. And you realize that no one is going to attack this. Like they just don't even realize it's a thing. Um, there was kind of this cool idea in the consumer space that they were talking to me about. Um, I don't know if I can share it or not because I think they're actively going to go work on it, but it was around like um, uh, uh, predatory pricing for consumer products. And I was like, you know what? This is super fascinating. And he was telling me about it and he's like, dude, I don't even think it's that people are trying to be deceptive. They just don't know that they can't do this. And so like that is kind of the unique thing about the, the idea that they were trying to do. Who like retailers don't know they're being deceptive? No, it's the the CPG companies selling, you know, uh, D2C. And so they, they're doing what, these like... What do you mean they don't know they're being decided? Predatory pricing, those mofos will charge 100, 100x what it's actually worth. There, there's more nuance to it. But when he told me the regulation behind it about like how they're not allowed to market or price these products, I literally looked at him and I was like, dude... I don't think most of these companies know this. Like, yeah. I, I truly think this is like something that people are, because a lot of them are just like young people trying to build their first business, right? Like they're not lawyers. And again, it goes back to the regulation thing is that like, if you actually study and do your due diligence on a specific space, there's probably some opportunity within that. Like, it's just yeah. like, you know, there's a problem that can be solved. If you look at like compliance and cybersecurity, a lot of that comes to that. It's like people are running their businesses. They don't know what regulations are happening or like things they need to be following. And so if you can go help them do those things, you probably have a multi-million dollar business on your hand. What I don't like about those businesses though, is there's just too much you can get away with when your business is small. Like those are things you have to think about when you're actually big and impactful. Trying to convince a first-time founder building some fucking cpg herb business that they need to be doing something in some certain way is just it, it feels like too premature so i think that yeah those yeah. businesses are definitely good but again they have to just like they probably have to move up market because a lot of the time you don't really need to worry about those things when you're starting a business a lot of people are like oh we should incorporate we should get a lawyer blah blah, blah. do not do any of that until your business has made enough money to afford those things I think that's like one lesson. Like I've tried to do some side businesses, blah, blah, blah. And I've always like spent too much money on lawyers before we even make money. So that's yeah. just one thing for yeah. me yeah. that I think is important. I, it's like Michael Bloomberg's advice, which is like build the product and sell it at the same time. And that's something that's just stuck with me. There is not going to be, you know, a three, six, nine, 12 month uh, period where we're just developing the product and sitting on our hands. I think that's the worst thing you can do. Um, yeah. go out and sell this thing and see if people want it. Because if you spend an entire year building something out, maybe you spend 50 to 100K, and then it turns out no one gives a shit, or if it's not a significant a problem, or it's not a significant enough problem that someone is willing to pay for it, like 
you just wasted a whole year and a shit ton of money, right? So like try to avoid these traps if you can. I also am now such a big advocate that you should really just try to find a way to not raise a bunch of venture money. Like well, I, this what is I was a gonna, hill I will I was, die on. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that yeah. Stan raised too much money? Because I just feel like this business could have been built for a fraction of the VC and still be at 5 million ARR. But I might be overestimating the engineering complexities of what they built. I think there's a lot of engineering uh, complexity here. But I don't know if $5 million is just too much. My hunch would be that if they tried to raise even more beyond this, that's when they're going to find themselves in trouble, right? $5 yeah. million, you're probably like at max 20 to 30% of the company yeah. that's sold. So you still own a very meaningful part of the business. The tough thing is, is like, man, you're grinding, you've raised a shit ton of money, you own a small percentage of your business, and you need all the stars to align for you to even even be able right. to exit it. And even if you exit, you're not going to make that much money. So also, like I talk to all my friends who raise VC money, and they're under crazy pressure all the time. Like I actually feel bad for them in the sense that it's just like, they just want to focus on like trying to build the best business possible. And there are just things that are out of their control. And still, like, they have to deal with all this external pressure of, like, trying to, like, increase their revenue every single quarter, and they're still trying to figure things out. And I'm just like, damn, like, if you had just raised a little bit less money, you wouldn't have had to deal with a lot of this stuff. Or if you had, like, just tried to be a little bit more lean to begin with. Yeah, I would hate to be on that Series A, Series B pipeline. And just, like, if that's what you're building for... I would so much rather build for like X amount of revenue and profitability as opposed to like a next fundraising round. That just feels like hell. It feels like you're totally. constantly running away from something. I would also say if you do decide to raise venture money and you're going to go all in, like you have to remove all the thinking in your head of starting these side businesses. I know that like it's really sexy right now and you go on Twitter and you see all these people making a shit ton of money and it's like, Oh damn, like this is such low hanging fruit. If I went and did this, I can make a lot of bread. Who's that kid? I just saw it on Twitter. He had raised $2 million from Jason Calacanis and like launch. And he said yesterday, he's uh he's trying to set up a TikTok side hustle. And this is the guy that was like, uh, this is the guy that was like, yo, if you're not gonna focus on your startup, you're not gonna make it. Like if you're not going all in. And he was just shitting on other people. And now he's like, yeah, I'm gonna start a TikTok side hustle. I'm not gonna call him out because like I don't think it'd be productive. But I was like, dude, like you can't, you know, have your cake and eat it too. Like that's no. that's not cool. Yeah, dude. Um, it's interesting the new philosophy towards venture capital that's emerged in the past few years, and that like. Maybe it's not the best move, but I do think there's a balance to everything. And if you are going to raise, I feel like that few million, get that like right number of angels connections in the door and then just go run from there. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. If in the formula, you just need a few million to get started. That makes so much sense. If like, especially if you're doing a high margin software business, I think that makes perfect sense. But yeah, I think there's a lot of things that you can bootstrap too. And I'm excited about that. You know, I was thinking about this own software idea I have. I'm like, holy shit. You know, maybe this doesn't become, you know, its own massive company, but could this thing, you know, kind of passively generate revenue for decades? Like very possibly. There are tons of Chrome extension type businesses that just break and they print very yeah. little support, right? Um, I think it's an amazing model. Um, and I think that's what is so cool about tech businesses is 
like they can be, they don't need to be maintained that much. And then they can just like generate a throw off a ton of cash every year. It's just, you know, that my first million Chrome extension developer in the Bahamas type dream. But I see it. I really do. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key lesson here. Like if you feel the need to raise money, just, you know, cap it and don't deviate it from it, right? If it's if you decide like, hey, I need $3 million because I need to hire X amount of people and this is what I need in order to leave my current job or feel the stability to go build this company and focus all my attention, like go do that. But then don't get caught up in the hype of like, hey, let's go raise 10 million, 25 million. A lot of these people, some of the best people who've raised a shit ton of venture money that I know, they haven't even used most of it. Like I, I have friends yeah, who've it's raised- also a loss aversion and being afraid that like it's gonna go away. Yeah, but like the, the beautiful thing now is like now that people are struggling to raise money, it's like they have such massive cash reserves to sit on. I'm not advocating that you overraise, but I'm saying like continue to operate in a lean mindset whenever possible. Like just because you have the money does not mean you should go spend it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think even the people you that- tell again, that to America, man. That's a great line. Just say it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, like, the people that, like, have raised a lot of VC money that I know, again, talking about some of my, the friends I have out here, they will negotiate with every single supplier that, they, that they're possibly working with, even when they can afford it, right? If someone quotes them at 2K, right, like, for, for you know, a very small test, they're still hammering and trying to negotiate and trying to bring them down bro, to a grand or bro, 500 bucks. Bro, that's just because he's Indian. <laughs> No, it is. It is. But I think it goes to show everything is negotiable. And just because like you get pitched on a flat rate or on something like doesn't mean you can't bring them down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you feel responsibility at that point. Be like, I have a lot of money, but like, I also need to like, what would my investor do? Like, What would yeah. my angel do? Like he would be smashing these suppliers down to the ground. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like he wouldn't be wasting the shit. Like I can't take it for granted. And yeah, maybe it's a good thing that money's dried up because people are like more conservative. Bad for brand marketing. I'll tell you that one. Bad, bad <laughs> for brand marketing. Not great for our future's agency division. I'll tell you, tell you that. Nah, well, we're doing just fine. I think it's uh distribution is also very important, right? Like that's one thing that we talk about time and time again. It's like now building products is actually not the challenge, right? Like building a software company is pretty easy, but how are you going to market it? And how are you going to get people to use the thing? I actually think yeah. that is the gold mine that we're in. So I yeah. would probably push back on your point there. Um, what was my point? What did I say? Uh, the point about like marketing not being needed as much. Um, did I, when did I given, say that? Like cost constraints. Oh, no, I was saying more around, you know, just like splashy marketing purchases, like renting out a stadium or some shit. You know, or like yeah. trying to get some clout or like paying for PR, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I think all that scrappy stuff still makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I'm, I'm just in this like frame of thought that uh, I'm, I'll, I'll repeat what I said is like, I've been th trying to think of business ideas, you know, for the past like, you know, years since we sold the company and just think of new things and just expose my mind to new ideas. And I've, I've just been you know, the, the, the less I used Twitter, the more creative I became. So like 
the more I was trying to hear all these guys talking about X, Y, Z, this new industry, this is blowing up. Like the more it actually hurt my creativity and my brain, um, the more I step back and don't fill my brain with this garbage content about entrepreneurship on LinkedIn and Twitter, I've actually become much more grounded in the way I think about opportunities. And that's just like something that I've dealt with recently. Um, so maybe it, I don't want it to mean like, don't listen to our podcast, but uh, I think a lot of like the shit that you'll hear and just constantly consuming business content will, will make you less creative. And it will also mean that like, you just, usually the opportunity is right in front of you. I just feel like it's like something that like you would be doing something that like a problem that you're facing in your industry. And that's what you can go out and solve. And when I think about venture creation, I think, okay, well, I'm in this video marketing market. I'm going to go into a new industry or maybe I'll stay in the same industry, but the next company I start will give me my next idea. And I just, I, I want to like lock in on that thought train, right? Totally. Say we, we launch a new company. Maybe it's adjacent to what we're currently doing, but in a slightly different sector, maybe a different kind of uh, format. And then building that company will expose us to a new problem. And it just like keeps snowballing. And I think that's really cool. I think it's a good, a good point to wrap on. You want to take yeah. us home? Yeah. Well, young entrepreneurs just have to build in what they know. Um, <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. This was uh, an awesome episode. I feel like it had really good insights. Um, and yeah, go check out John's YouTube channel, but also subscribe to ours. Um, and make sure to check us out on the audio platforms as well. And we'll be with you guys, I think, next week. Maybe we could do a year in review episode or something. Maybe we can. Uh, that would be cool. Maybe we could do our own version of that just for fun. I mean, obviously, um, maybe a few people would enjoy it. So uh, keep an eye out for that, guys. Stay frosty <clears throat> and have happy holidays. <laughs>